Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. I am so glad you tuned in today. Every day when I interview someone, I am always excited to have them as my guest because they share such incredible stories. Today is no exception. Also, thank you to all my guests who have shared their stories. Stories of discouragement and tribulation and financial problems and problems with families and relationships, times in our lives when we felt hopeless. Each one of my guests has been able to overcome that sense of hopelessness, no matter what it is. And each guest, just as each listener, comes from different parts of the world, each one with a special story of hope. And so I thank you so much for tuning in today and every day When you listen, I know you are not disappointed because these stories are remarkable. Extraordinary stories from ordinary people. It's amazing what people go through and how we survive and overcome. With me today is one of those people. Kathleen Pooler is an author and a retired family nurse practitioner. Her memoir is entitled... Ever Faithful to His Lead, My Journey Away from Emotional Abuse. It's the story of one woman's choices when it came to love. Her story is a tears to triumph story. Just as I mentioned earlier, we don't stay in that, in that hopeless state, but we find hope. And each one of my guests have found it in a unique way, just as Kathleen has. And that is what she's going to share. Kathleen's book is one that I read twice. I couldn't put it down because it's written from the heart and it will touch your heart. It'll make you cry. It'll make you laugh and it'll make you be encouraged and understand not only what she went through, but also in relation to what you may be going through. In her first interview, we discussed Kathleen's roller coaster ride of self-discovery. She went from shame to guilt to inner strength. And I'm so glad that I have been able to reconnect with Kathleen, who has become a friend and who is going to share now her upcoming new book. And we'll let her tell you about that. But it's regarding her her son's drug addiction, another subject that many of you are going to relate to. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Carol, for such a kind introduction. I really appreciate it. 
Now, before we talk about your new book, could you please recap your story, you know, in a, in a few minutes about your poor choices and how you had to rescue yourself? I really appreciate it when you shared that the first time around in your first interview about how you rescued yourself. Well, I had this fantasized version of uh, what marriage was going to be because I grew up in a very stable, loving family, and I didn't know any different. So, in fact, I felt a little bored by by this stable family. So I went out into the world with this notion that I wanted some adventure in my life, and I got a lot more than I bargained for. (laughs) Um, It was through you know, pretty much being naive. It wasn't within my experience to deal with uh, troubled people who were, who drank too much or uh, abusive people. I mean, I did not have any kind of a template to deal with that. So I went into this thinking, well, all marriages have problems and uh, I'll be able to figure it out after all my parents did. You know, they're they're living happily ever after. So I kind of floated along on this wave of of, uh, you know, rose-colored glasses, Uh and I found myself in uh, my first marriage uh, to the father of my two children, uh, where he drank too much, and uh, I excused him, I enabled him, I did everything that you're not supposed to do, um, until one time when my children were uh, were babies, and I thought, I envisioned them being older of school age, and bringing somebody home from school, a friend, and being embarrassed by their father's drinking. And I, that just clicked uh. something. Something clicked inside of me. And I said, there's just no way I, I'm going to allow that to happen. And that kind of set forth the motion of me um, finding the strength to to leave the marriage. And that was tough for a good Catholic girl who takes her vows seriously. So there were all kinds of factors that kind of got in the way, but it, it, it was my own mother who said, you know, you don't have to live like this. Um, and um, so it was very foreign to what I was used to. And I just kind of was in kind of a crisis mode and uh, I was able to get out of that marriage. Um, but, and I was single for, you know, a good eight years and didn't I get into a, a second uh-huh. a, a second marriage to someone who was not an alcoholic, but it turns out he was uh, untreated bipolar. So I still had those rose-colored glasses on. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and um, you know, that actually ended up being worse than the first marriage, to be wow. honest with you. Wow. Yeah, because he was mean. He turned out being mean, and he turned out to be verbally abusive and I actually had to escape in the middle of the day from him and my children were school-aged so uh, the book pretty much chronicles um all the red flags that I missed along the way Uh because of my own belief system because of my own background naivete whatever call it what you want but but I ended up in these two emotionally abusive marriages and I had to really examine why I did that because when I realized the life of joy that I was currently living, I, I had to understand for myself how someone like me who came from a stable, loving family 
and who was very successful in my nursing career could go off and make so many harebrained choices about love that end up in such um, dire straits. So that was really the impetus for writing my book to begin with. And um, what I discovered is that I did have a voice and that I, I could be empowered. And I thankfully got out of the second marriage uh, sooner than I got out of the first marriage. And um, that's basically the scope of uh, of that book. And, and, and it's kind of a cautionary tale, I think, for anybody in a relationship, you know, that so often you don't, the red flags are, are there for a reason and you really need to heed them. And you need to listen to that inner voice that says something isn't quite right. This doesn't fit. What's interesting, Kathleen, about what you just shared is I can't relate with those two scenarios in my own life that you that you just um, shared. But yet your book, which is written like a novel, which makes, to me, that's what a memoir should be. And I so enjoyed it for that reason. Mm-hmm. But I did, you don't have to relate to it to get something from it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I appreciated about your book as well, because it's encouraging no matter what kind of situation you're going through. It's your attitude and your forgiveness of others and all the thing and your attitude of joy and all the things that you share in your book about the experiences you went through that we can all relate to. And so even if uh, someone is listening and thinking, well, you know, I don't have a bad marriage or bad relationship, you still will enjoy this book immensely. And as I said earlier, I read it twice because there's just so much in it and so many words of encouragement. So for that, I thank you. And thank you again for sharing that part. Thank you. Now, one thing that a lot of people have to deal with, and I think it can be a cause for serious depression, is when all of a sudden you wake up one day and you realize, you know what? What happened to my life? How did I get here? It's not what I planned at all. So how did you come to terms with that when you realized, you know, my, you're, like you mentioned, you came from a loving family and all these, all these other things and you were successful in your career and yet here you are. How did you deal with that? I think over time, and it didn't happen right away, um, I call it the three Fs, family, friends, and faith. Uh, I began to rely more on the three Fs throughout all of the difficult periods in my life. And I think that my faith is what inspired me um, to deal with these challenges because it was like bigger than I could deal with. (laughs) So I had to somehow know that there was a power greater than myself that was out there in the universe, (laughs) you know, and that I, I had to have hope for better days. I think, I think hope is like the best medicine that, that you could have because it's, it's the only thing between you and the abyss. Oh, excellent. It, it really is. And and if you don't have hope, what do you have? So hope gave me a reason to believe that I was going to make it, no matter how bad the circumstances were. Now, I have to tell you that I had a lot in place that gave me that, that kind of nurtured that feeling. And that was 
the family, the friends, the faith that bolstered me into believing with all my heart that things were going to get better. And it's, you know, it's like hope is not a, it's not a thinking brain thing. It's a heart thing. It's a belief that no matter how bad things are, you're going to make it, you're going to be okay, even though it doesn't look that way right at the moment. And um, it, it really has hope has just guided me. In fact, that's the whole that's my tagline for my for my um, website is sharing hope one story at a time. It's it's like I, that's to me what gets me through the dire straits. I totally agree. And you know what's interesting what you said about the three F's family, friends and faith is there are people that do not have family support and mm-hmm. there are people who do not have friends support. But no matter who we are, we can have faith. Mm-hmm. And that's what hope is. And that's that's what you're talking about is you zero in and on that and it also becomes your focus. And you mentioned a few things as you were talking, you know, that that's sometimes the only thread that you have to hold on to, but you don't let go. And I love what you said about it's the only thing sometimes between you and the abyss, because hope helps us to see the future through different eyes, Mm -hmm. rather than a strictly negative or the abyss. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no end in sight and nothing will, will ever change and you know, I'm doomed and all these negative things. And so our attitude is so important. And that is what you are saying got you through and turned your hopelessness not only into hope, but also your choice to be joyful. Can you address that a little deeper? Is how do you choose to exchange sorrow for joy? Like besides the hope factor, is there anything else that you could you know, just possibly expound on a little bit is how we actually, when we are very sad and going through, you know, extreme circumstances, how do we become joyful through that besides, unless maybe that is the only way is through hope. What are, what are your thoughts? Well, I strongly believe and has been through the lived experience that sometimes my greatest challenges have been my greatest gifts because, mm. because, it's through the challenges that I've become stronger and that I have been in touch with um, the gifts that I possess within. I've been, become more acutely aware. And the other thing, which I think is huge, and I think writing my first memoir helped me get in touch with this, is gratitude. Um, being grateful for the life that you have. Yes. With all the flaws, with all the vulnerabilities, given the fact that we all have flaws, we all have vulnerabilities, and it's accepting that. And I'm going through that right now with my own health crisis, um, with being rejected for a kidney transplant because of medical issues and my age. And I've had to come to grips with being grateful that I have an option available to me that is paid for by insurance that is keeping me alive and will keep me alive for years to come. Now, I could live in a third world country where that's not available to me and I could be dead by now. That's right. So, you know what I mean? I, 
it's perspective. It, 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 it's really looking at the painful reality of whatever your situation is and putting a perspective on it and being grateful for what you have that's right in front of you. And it, because, you know, there's no guarantees for any of us. That's right. No, no guarantees at all. And to me, gratitude and forgiveness, forgiveness is huge. When I wrote um, Ever Faithful to His Lead, I went into it um, recalling memories of feeling angry with my ex-husband, the father of my children. I I hung on to that anger. But it is through the writing of that book that I realized He was a good person with a bad problem. So that, and what ended up happening is six weeks after I published that memoir, he died of cirrhosis. And I was at his deathbed with my children and with his family to say goodbye to him. And when I stood there, I stood in my truth because I knew I had forgiven him. I knew I saw him for who he was. And, but I also knew that it didn't work out the way it was supposed to, but it was <laughs> going to be okay. Absolutely. There's a lot of wisdom in what you just shared. As I was listening to your to what you were saying and was very intrigued by your by your words, they did definitely speak to my heart. One of the things that I remembered, and my father told me this over and over again in my life, and that is faith does not deny reality. And that's what you just oh, talked about. Right. Because your reality is in front of your face. Your reality is what you live in. Your reality is what you are feeling. But faith overcomes that. And it doesn't, mm-hmm. but it doesn't deny it. Right. And so, you know, a lot of people, they like to, you know, bury their head in the sand and pretend that things aren't happening. But that's not what you are saying. Mm-hmm. It's in spite of what you're going through to be grateful for what you have, in spite of what you're going through to continue to hope that, you know, things are going to change, but not denying what is happening. So I that really, really spoke to me. And I really appreciate you sharing that again. Well, uh, yeah, and I really think that it's the belief that no matter how things bad things may be at this moment, this too shall pass. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and it's it really does. <laughs> and well, I mean, and, and and as awful as it is, and you know, you do, I, and I do also give myself permission to grieve. Yes, uh, I think that's very, very important. Um, you have to have a way of processing the loss and the grief that you feel. Um, so, but, but the not having the knowledge that this is not going to be like this all the time, this too shall pass. I, I've done this before. I've faced other burdens before and I've gotten through, I'll get through this one somehow. I don't know how, but I'm going to get through it. And, and just believing in yourself that you can, I think kind of nurtures that hope. Absolutely. So let's switch gears here, Kathleen, and talk about your new book and what you're going to share 
um, regarding your son's addiction, which is a whole different area and yet very much the same because of, you know, the, the trauma that you had to go through and mm-hmm. from a mother's perspective and also how it affected you. Anything that you want to share? Well, my purpose for even writing this book um, is to show parents of addicts again that no matter how bad things are, you never ever give up hope. Um, that the power of a mother's love goes a long way despite the cunning, fierce nature of addiction. I, I think what also I want to show is that addiction is a disease and you have to have a grasp and understand that it's a disease in order to do what you need to do to help yourself and your child. I did not, despite the fact that I was a master's prepared nurse, when this personal tragedy happened to me, I was not in touch with the full nature of addiction as a disease. And I had, when I, a counselor said to me in response to a scenario I relayed about Brian coming home drunk. They said, when you look into his eyes, you are not looking at your son. You are looking at the face of addiction. And I began to kind of see it a little bit differently because it was like there were three of us in the relationship. There wasn't just my son and I. There was this devil, this evil presence that had taken over my son's mind and body and spirit. And so I needed to have a better understanding. I needed the hard way to learn what the nature of addiction was and what I needed to do, which was um, counterintuitive to what most mothers want to do. They want to fix their children. They want to help. They want to dash in and help them and rescue them. When in fact, until a person is truly ready, they, they're not going to change. My son, thank God, found his way to sobriety. And it had nothing to do with anything I did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the pain, that's another painful reality. It's like, <laughs> uh, it had to do with, with me um, allowing myself to not try to fix him. Uh, and that, that took years, years of Al-Anon and, and, and uh, prayer and, and, and agony to be able to separate myself and, and say, Brian, Brian, you are your own person. You are an adult. You are making your own decisions. And I love you. I'll never stop loving you. But I cannot control what's going on. And it, I think what that does is it, it empowers the other person to believe that they have the ability within themselves to make a difference in their own lives. And, but it, you know, it requires agonizing choices. Parents of addicts 
I have agonizing choices to make and live in constant fear for their children's lives for good reason. So, um, but, you know, recovery is possible. And that's another message of my book. It truly is possible. And people need to know that when they're in the throes of it because it's so horrific. It's, uh, you know, it's like being there. It's like being uh, in a tornado. When you're living with an alcoholic, you're living in the midst of a tornado. And there's no control. Nobody has control. And so you have to find within yourself how you can develop some healthy boundaries and step back and take care of yourself, but never stop loving that person. You never stop loving your children. Right. Uh, I mean, for I I had to walk away from my, my husband, but you know, he was an adult and uh, it was sad and I hated have to do it, but you know, he left me no choice. But when it's your child that you've carried in your womb, Mm -hmm. And you've nurtured all these years and you had so many hopes and dreams for, you know, let, how do you let go? You know, well, you don't really, I don't know. You, you do what you have to do, but you never give up hope. Ever. That's right. That's Because right. where there's life, there's hope. And Absolutely. People recover all, all the time, but they recover on their own terms. Not because of anything you do or do not do. Uh, I there's a scene in the book that is actually it's probably the climax, and I won't give it away. But okay. it it it's it's a scene where if you had stuck a knife in my gut and turned it, that's what it would have felt like. Uh-huh. Uh, it's something I had to do, and and I think it saved my son's life. <laughs> Well, that's just like a cliffhanger for us all. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And I know, again, I reiterate, her first book was phenomenal. You do not want to miss that one or this upcoming one. Now, I have a question about what you were just talking about here with, with dealing with your son and all the emotions that went around that. How did you cope with or did you have to cope with guilt? Oh, my gosh. To me, the guilt and the shame I felt about putting my children through two dysfunctional abusive marriages fueled my enabling behaviors with my son. Because we had moved to four different states and uh, I felt so guilty. But that didn't do any, it didn't do anybody any good. uh, Because it just, it just fueled the enabling behavior, which didn't help him one bit. Hmm. And so there, I had a lot to learn. I learned the long, hard way. And that's the I, better way. That's the yeah, better I way. suppose. <laughs> and, and but you know, if if somebody out there can can learn something from the lessons I learned the long, that's hard true. way. That's true. And to me, it'll be worth getting it out there. And and because I even asked myself, why the heck are you so driven to get this story out there? And I, it's just the passion I feel because I feel like uh, to have this hope that in recovery, 
which I had despite all odds, despite everybody around me, uh, even including my family saying he's hopeless, he's hopeless, he's hopeless. I refuse to believe that. And I said, no, he's not. He's, he's, he's going to make it. He's going to make it. He's, even though I was like, fake it till you make it. I was like, <laughs> I, I had to, I had to know in my heart that he was going to make it. And so and I really think that, that, um, that made a difference for him. And I think it also made a difference uh, for me. And it also made a difference for him that he knew that I was never going to give up hope on him. And that was important for him to know. What about the siblings? Okay. She's a very important part of the story. Um, and she's a lost, I call her the lost sibling because I was so, I was so focused on Brian and she kind of found her own way. And, um, the, the addiction impacts everybody in the family. And that's another message of my book. They're just beginning to come together again because he's been sober for four years. Oh, that's wonderful. It is. And it, and so he's able to meet us on sane ground and we can now begin to build from here. Uh And, um, but I never take his sobriety for granted. Um, That's a very good point. Yeah, you never do, but but you know what I have learned to do is is concentrate on myself and uh never stop loving him, but not try to get in and control or fix anything. A lot of tongue biting going on. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I don't ask too many questions. I I let him I let him lead the way, and but yes, <laughs> that's you all know, part of being a parent, don't you think? That's right. That's right. And we sometimes you think you're going to bite your tongue right off, you know. Oh. <laughs> well, that is under the best of circumstances. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, any any words of encouragement? Now, let's turn this outward towards okay. people who may be going through something similar. Let's maybe give them some, I know you did already, you know, by, by talking about stepping away, et cetera, but any other practical tips or advice you can give? Well, I think um, denial is a big part of the disease for the family and for the, for the person involved. Um, so cutting through that denial and accepting the reality for what it is um, and seeking help early there's all kinds of resources, um, Al-Anon being a really important one. It's a, pretty much was my lifeline for many years, uh, and I still rely on um, I, re- I still rely on the sayings and the readings, um, and so I I think I encourage would encourage people to um, again heed the red flags uh, that what is normal and what is not normal. And any time a person violates your boundaries with their behavior, you know 
something is wrong. You can usually trust your feelings about whether something is right or wrong. And um, also, um, the best way to help the person is, is to get healthy yourself and focus on your focus on your own growth and your own um i mean when you get when when a person who's addicted gets treatment the family gets treatment so you're in recovery together mm. it isn't just one person that's that's in recovery uh and that it, in the early stages that was a revelation to me that well how come i have a counselor my son is the one that's the problem but no 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 no, you're part of this picture as are his father and his sister, and you're part of the process. So accept that you're part of the issue. Uh, and you need help too. And also from a mother's perspective, that very often we deny ourselves that help, don't we? Because we feel that all of our energy should go towards helping them or helping the family or whatever, but we yeah, we forget exactly. about ourselves and we put ourselves on a shelf. And what you said is is very true and very wise that we need to take care of number one, mm-hmm. because otherwise we're of little value to everybody else. Right. So Absolutely. very very good. When is your book coming out? Oh well, I'm in the the beta reader phase, um, so. I've got more work to do to smooth it out, um, but I've done a considerable amount of work. I, I can't. I can't even project. I mean, I would hope within a year. Okay. It's, I don't have okay. a date. I, you know, but knowing how this works, writing is rewriting. Um, the story is always with me. Um, I think it'll be a relief to be done with it. Um, Brian will be a part of. Will be a beta reader as well. And, really uh, good good i well he he did read it last august and he balked at it so i let it sit on the back burner and i made some changes and i took some of his suggestions i offered him a chance to write his version if he wanted like a chapter or little snippets here and there which he after over these last 6 months or year he's kind of been open opening up to the possibility but um i'll see what he says after he reads the this updated version of it but uh, i would hope within a year that i'll have it out there okay well that's something to look forward to i also want to tell our listeners that in this month's book fun magazine on um amazon kathleen shares this story in an article and so you go to amazon look up book fun magazine april 2017 and her story of her son is there as well so you get a little tidbit of what is to come and it definitely made me cry and that's that's what a good story does i want to laugh or i want to cry and if you can make me do both that's even better (laughs) and i know that you did do that in your first book so we anticipate the same thank you kathleen this has been awesome you touched my heart i know that there are many many people who have these problems that you have both gone through and overcome 
and maybe in the middle of as well. So whether it's the the addiction or the loss of relationship or coming to grips with trauma in your life and turning your sorrow into joy, you have shared so much and I thank you for that. And I know that for those of us that can relate, we will be helped. And I thank you. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Carol. I really appreciate um, the opportunity to share my story with you. And we'll talk again when your next book comes out. Uh, Sounds good. All right. (laughs) Okay. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.